Christmas time is here. It's the most wonderful time of the year. At least I feel that way. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. It's hard to ignore it right now. Um, you know, one of the things I just, there, actually, there's, there's a lot of things I love about Christmas. I love the time of year. I love being warm when it's cold outside. I love snow, even though we don't get much around here. I love it. Um, I love, I love Christmas lights. I love uh, the sense of anticipation that culminates on Christmas Day. I love getting new things on Christmas Day. That's a confession, by the way. Because I know I'm part of the problem. If we admit it, you know, that's the, that's the shadow side of the Christmas season, if, if, there's, if there's one to be had. And it's the whole consumer aspect of Christmas, right? It has turned into a holiday that is all about greed and consumption, I mean, that's why we have Christmas trees showing up in stores in September, for crying out loud. It's, it's become a real issue, hasn't it? That Christmas is about the season of getting and, and buying and all that stuff. I'm really uh, impressed that um, all the way back in 1965, people were recognizing this. One of our Christmas traditions is to watch the Charlie Brown special. And even then... Um, we saw Charlie Brown wrestling with this issue of Christmas becoming a holiday about consuming. You remember that he goes to the Christmas tree lot and all he sees are aluminum trees. Bang! The sleek aluminum trees that are the future. They didn't call that one very well, I guess. <clears throat> but then you get, you know, he gets his little scraggly little tree and, and somehow we sympathize with him because that represents him holding on to the meaning of Christmas. What is Christmas all about? And as the show goes on, we see that that's kind of the central question that Charlie Brown is wrestling with. And that's the central question that we're going to be wrestling with this morning. What is the meaning of Christmas? What is Christmas all about? And with that, I'm going to let Charlie Brown and Linus read our text for this morning. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy. It shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, from the mouth of a child, we heard those words. And Lord, we know that uh, those words to us mean hope. They mean life. So this morning, I pray that we would not be so cynical as having heard those words before to not really hear this morning what they mean for us. So Father God, be with us. May your spirit allow me to speak truth and wisdom this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. The meaning of Christmas. You know, Linus, 
says that scripture, that passage from Luke chapter 2, which, by the way, you'll want to open your Bibles to because we'll be in it a lot this morning. Luke chapter 2, he opens that and, and he recites that scripture. And what he doesn't do is really unpack that for us. He doesn't say, now this is why that's the meaning of Christmas. He just goes back to Charlie Brown and he says, that's the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. So we're left to kind of wonder, well, what did he mean? And actually, we're, I wonder, why did he choose that passage? He could have chosen a number of passages about Christmas. He could have been to, gone to Matthew and done the, the three magi. He could have read from earlier in Luke 2 and talked about the journey of Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus. But he chose to talk about an angel appearing to the shepherds. And I want to give Charles Schultz some credit and say that I think he had a good reason for using that passage in particular to talk about the meaning of Christmas. So we're going to dig in and find out from that passage what there is for us to learn about why we celebrate this holiday. First of all, I want you to realize how surprising all of this is. We've lost sight of that, perhaps because we've read this so many times year after year. We've lost sight of how surprising this whole occasion is. And the first thing that really, I think, cues us into this is, why shepherds? Why on earth would angels show up to shepherds in the middle of nowhere? Shepherds of all people. And we sort of romanticize shepherds. Uh, in our day and age, we, we kind of have fond feelings for them. But back then, shepherds were kind of the lowlifes. They didn't make a whole lot. They were kind of like indentured servants a lot of the time. And because of that, they had a reputation for being dishonest, for being thieves. And on top of that, to make it all worse, the Jewish ceremonial religious law of the time considered shepherds unclean. So if you met a shepherd, you didn't know whether just to plug your nose or to figure out where your wallet was. Because they just weren't the kind of person you wanted to bump into on a street. And yet, they're the people that the angels showed up to. So what's going on there? Well, I think to get it, we need to dig even further into the passage and actually pay attention to what the angels say to the shepherd. So let me read again that passage, starting in verse 10. What does that angel say? He says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. First thing I want to draw out to you is that the angel poses for these shepherds an oxymoron. An oxymoron. You guys know what an oxymoron is, right? Latin for um, dull and sharp. Two words that contradict one another. So, um, for example, open secret. Does that make any sense? Open secret? Huh? No. Negative growth? Yeah, my favorite is uh, devout atheist. That's a good one. That's an oxymoron. Two things that, that go together that don't make any sense at all. And what the, what the angel has posed to the shepherds is an oxymoron. And I'm going to draw this out for you. The first thing I think we want to notice about this is some of the words that the angel uses to describe Jesus. He's, he calls him Savior, Christ, Lord. And he uses the term uh, good news, which in other places in the Bible is in, interpreted, uh, translated gospel, right? Good tidings, gospel, right? So these words nowadays, they're, they're kind of religious words, right? We use them in church. They're not common parlance. You, you, if you hear someone say Savior or 
good news or gospel, usually that's coming from a Christian. But back then, 2,000 years ago, those were words that were used to describe the Roman government. Specifically, the Roman emperor. I, I was really uh, fascinated to discover in my research that archaeologists have unearthed an inscription that was carved into rock in a temple in Greece. And this inscription was carved nine years before Jesus was born. It's from a temple official who was trying to argue uh, to the Roman officials that they should reset the calendar to zero on the day that Caesar Augustus, the emperor, was born. Caesar Augustus was such an important person to this, this temple official and to apparently enough other people that they wanted to reset the calendar to year zero on his birthday. So let's read his argument. It's really fascinating. This is what he says. It, that is changing the calendar, seemed good to the Greeks of Asia in the opinion of the high priest Apollonius of Menophilus Azenitus. Since providence has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit man, humankind, sending him as a savior that he might end war and arrange all things. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings for the world that came by reason of him. Wow. wow. Yeah, right. Did you catch how similar that sounds to what the angels announced? He's trying to say, hey, this Augustus is such a big deal. He's our savior. He's bringing peace to all the world. Good news. Interesting, huh? So when the angels burst onto the scene to these shepherds and say a lot of the same words and pretty much the same message about Jesus, that's pretty radical. They're dethroning Caesar Augustus. And more than that, they're saying, hey, that guy in Rome, he's an imposter. He sits on a throne of lies and he smells like beef and cheese. They're, they're just, forget him. There's a new guy in town and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna be stiff competition for Caesar Augustus. Well, that would have been shocking enough for the shepherds to have heard. But then what comes next probably would have made them laugh. Because the angel says, here's the sign for you. This savior who's come. He's going to be a baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a feeding trough. A feeding trough. Now that's pretty radical. You say, okay, this guy who's going to dethrone Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the known world, is a baby lying in a feeding trough wrapped in strips of cloth. That's an oxymoron. Savior baby. Savior baby. On the face of it, it's absolutely absurd. And I can only imagine if those shepherds hadn't been scared out of their minds, they probably would have laughed. Whatever the expression on their faces was at that point, it would have been wiped off by what happens next. Let's read as the story continues. It says, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Here's what I imagine is going on here. You've got the one angel, whoever he is, Gabriel, whoever. He's talking to the shepherds. And behind the scenes, you have the angel hosts who are listening in. And they're hearing what the angel is telling the shepherds. And they hear him state this 
oxymoron of sorts. And there's something so profound, so magnificent about this strange course of events that the rest of the angels have to pop onto the scene and burst into song. What is it that's so magnificent about this? I think there's a paradigm here that the angels recognize from their eternal perspective about the true nature of the way things are. We as human beings, when we look at our world and we say, who is powerful? What is glorious? When we imagine that, we think that the one who holds the sword is the one who is powerful. The one with the riches, the one who is on top and who is powerful and who who calls the shots, like Caesar Augustus, right? That is the person who is powerful and who is glorious. But what if the real truth is that the one who has glory is the one who, for the sake of love, is poorest? The one who, for the sake of love, takes the punch and doesn't punch back? The one who, for the sake of love, is being killed? What if those are the ones who are truly glorious, truly powerful in our world? That is the eternal perspective of these angels. Because when they see what God is doing, they recognize that that's their paradigm. You know, Caesar Augustus, his glory was fleeting. Where's his empire now? Where are the buildings that he erected? Where are his armies His riches, his glory, gone. But there's one kind of glory that lasts forever, for all eternity. And that is love. The glory of love. So when we see in the face of what God is doing here, that he is humbling himself for the sake of mankind to become a baby. Our Savior, our Lord, who becomes a baby for our sake. That is glorious. That is marvelous to behold. And that is enough to take the breath away from the angels and cause them to sing. Magnificent. Glory to God in the highest indeed. So we return, now that we kind of understand what's going on here with the message and the content of the message that this angel has delivered to these shepherds, we return to that question, why? Why did, he, why did he show up to these shepherds? Well, I think he actually says his reason why. Go back to verse 10. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All the people. Caesar Augustus brought good news, right? But his good news wasn't for all the people. It probably benefited those who are in power or those who are wealthiest. But the good news that Jesus brought, that this angel brings on behalf of God, is for all the people. And the shepherds represent all the people. Because if it could come to shepherds of all people, it can come to anybody. It can mean that for anybody. There is no one who is out of reach of the good news of God if it can come to shepherds. That's amazing. You you cannot be so on the fringes of civilization. You cannot be so screwed up. You cannot be such a sinner or so unclean that the good news of the Savior baby can't come to you too. 
So back to Linus's question, or really Charlie Brown's question, right? What is the meaning of Christmas? Can anybody tell me what the meaning of Christmas is? Well, I think it is simply this. Great love stoops low. Great love stoops low. When we see what Jesus has done, we recognize that God, who has the eternal nature, the the capabilities, the, the character of God as one who can do anything, be everywhere, has decided to not hold on to that, to to, to not grasp that, but instead has made himself a baby. And even more than that, a servant to all mankind who would die for us. Great love stoops low. Glory to God in the highest. So then we're left wondering, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that kind of love, that kind of message? Well, again, the shepherds have something to teach us. Let's continue to read the passage, starting in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Last week, Pastor Megan preached about the response that Mary had when the angel told her that that she was going to give birth to a child. And she gave us four Ps. Anybody remember those P's? You get extra credit if you do. First one, proclamation. Yeah, good job. What was, oh, cheater. Second one was perplexity. Third one was proof. And the fourth one was participation. I think we see all four of these things happening with these shepherds. Of course, they get the proclamation of the, of the angel. They are perplexed because as we have already learned this was a surprising message. They go to see the proof that the angel has given this child wrapped in swaddling cloths in a feeding trough, and they participate. I think they participate by actually obeying what the angel has told them and witnessing to those who are there what the angel has told them. They participate in what God is doing. I'm going to add a couple more Ps to this, this menagerie. The the next P I want to add, which is our response, I think, all of this, is praise. Praise, because that's in the end of the story, when the shepherds leave the scene, what they're doing is praising and glorifying God. What an appropriate response. After they have experienced the, the wonder and the awe and they get what is going on here, they glorify and praise God. You know, I, I recognize that this particular season... It's one of the few times in our culture, in a, in a year, where we as a culture come together to sing songs. Think about it. What other time in the year does, does anybody get in a group and sing songs together? I mean, besides if you're in church, right? We don't do that. We don't normally do that. But here at Christmas, we have the opportunity to praise. And it's part of our culture. And what should that not be our response 
And the beautiful thing about praise is when we praise God, when we recognize the depth of his love, we orient ourselves to him. Our lives become oriented to him, pointed in his direction. And it seems like when we praise God, everything else lines up to that. So praise is a lot more important than we give it credit for. And when I mean praise, I don't mean just singing, by the way. Praise can be witnessing. Praise can be speaking words of God's goodness. That's a way to praise. Praise can simply be understanding internally with the heart the depth and the magnitude of what God has done. But let us praise with all our being in every way that we possibly can. But I recognize that this holiday is a busy one. And unfortunately, that's one of the, the criminal things about this time of year. As we go about our consumption, about our activities, our parties, our buying gifts, whatever they are, we lose sight of what we're doing this all for. So there's one more P for us, and that's ponder. Do what Mary did when she heard the news of the shepherds. She pondered. She wondered. She spent time internally reckoning with what God had done. And my challenge to you is not only to praise, but to take the time to stop. Stop. Just take a few minutes once and think on the magnitude of the glorious thing that God has done, of the great love that he has shown upon us. The beautiful thing about what the shepherds did when they praised is that they joined in with the angels. What a privilege that we have to do that as well. So may we take the time this season to stop and to ponder with Mary what a wonderful thing he has done. This morning we're going to take communion. We're going to enjoy the hospitality of God, the one who has loved us so deeply, who invites us, even as he invites the shepherds, into that good news. Before we do, I'm going to give us time to ponder. Let's take a few moments, even just a minute, to think about what God has done for us this morning. So bow your heads in silence. Baby Jesus grew up to become a man. And at the end of his life, he spread his arms wide open as an invitation to you and to me to receive the good news that the angels had declared that a Savior, Christ the Lord, had come for all the people. This morning as we eat this meal, we recognize the good news that those angels proclaimed so long ago. And you, you in this room who declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior are welcome to this table to receive the benefits, the nourishment that God has given to us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and after he had broken, he gave thanks and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant of my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. May that be nourishment to our souls this morning. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your great love. 
that you would come down to be with us. So Lord, whatever we are doing this morning, whatever state our souls are in, Lord, we ask that you would be present with us, that you would enjoy this meal with us. Lord, nourish our souls. Give us what we need to thrive, to have new life with you. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of our world, have mercy on us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.